Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation, Gorgeous George, and Goes reporting for duty here on a Wednesday night for your Thursday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. Got lots of stories to cover, and of course, The Ultimate Fighter, Season 31, Episode 1. I think we want to go over that. Both Goes and I watched it, so we're all caught up on it. And uh, honestly, this season's probably going to be fire, so I don't see why we won't be doing this uh every week on our second show uh the one that uh, airs on thursdays because obviously it, it airs tuesday nights on espn espn plus we can't catch it for the for the, the weekend show which is the one where we usually recap what's happening anyway so we also had uh, some personal stuff to discuss kind of hit the road a little bit with some off guards so we'll tell you about that and we'll be back to start the show So, uh, goes. I think we should just start with Tough Thirty One Episode One, and then we'll finish up with some news. I think that's basically the big news of the week so far, right? On a rare weekend, coming off no shows. Yeah, I think that's the big story. I mean, everybody wants to see Conor McGregor, see what kind of mood he's in, what he looks like, what he sounds like. Uh, that's the whole reason we're tuning into Tough. So, uh, I think we need to get into that. Yeah, and this was filmed in uh, about three months ago. So I I want to say February or so is when it was filmed, or about six weeks they do it. And both Chandler and McGregor basically lived in Vegas. But as you can see in episode one, McGregor, as charming as he is, as magnetic as he is, the draw that he is, you know, obviously respect to everything he's ever accomplished in the sport. He's not the best coach. We kind of got a glimpse of that when they did uh, favor versus McGregor. And I thought things might change or right away. You could tell he's there, but he's not always there. I think we should give you kind of like the good and the bad from both guys. Cause I saw a little bit of both from for Connor McGregor, Connor McGregor early on. I actually enjoy his coaching, but I don't know that it's so much coaching as it is motivating fighters. He does a lot of that. I think he relies on his coaches to kind of game plan and technique, but I think he just kind of uh, walks in there and just uh, respect me, respect my aura that I bring here, my energy. Um, That was the good part on his part. I thought that, uh, that does something to a fighter. It kind of rejuvenates them. I think when, when, you know, like surround yourself with successful people, if you want to be successful, that was the good part for me. The bad part was he just looks enormous for starters. He looks very jittery. You know, he can't really stay still, not even for a second. And I can't tell if that's nervous energy around Michael Chandler 
if that's nervous energy to be in front of a camera again. I really don't know what that is, but uh, but it's very evident in the way he conducts himself. That's a little alarming, and he just looks worn out, you know, just beat up. He did look like he aged a lot. He looked like he just partied his ass off for the three months before he showed up to Las Vegas. Um, and if he told me, no, he didn't, he, he was good. You know, because, again, this was filmed, I think, in February or March or both. If you were to tell me, no, 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 he was a good, he was a good dad over the holidays, then I'd say, okay, well, then when he landed in the United States, he didn't sleep for three days. He just kind of looked really run down. And um, I don't know, he's just aged a lot. You know, that camera's up on your grill. And you touched on something that I wanted to touch on. He He just can't sit still. And part of me thinks that no matter where he's at, he always wants to be somewhere else. Or he's as as comfortable, no, wait, as much as we give him praise for being comfortable in front of the camera, I think he's also uncomfortable. And I'll tell you why. Because I think he knows that at any moment someone can say, you've only won one fight since 2016, you know, or four of of your last fights have been losses. What do you say to that? You know, I think again, honestly, someone could say that to him. It, it makes him squirm, you know, because we were also used to talking about his greatness in two divisions and everything he had done and win streaks and champ champ. And that he's so far removed from that. I think he has a little bit of an anxiety of that, that that may come his way. But I also feel like just like Dana White, whatever you throw at them, because they've done this a lot and they're good at talking, they're going to do it. But here's what happens, goes, in those situations. Unless you've actually, because uh, anyone can talk when you're successful and things are going great. Anyone can talk when you have no problem bullshitting and you just want to get out of a jam. But not everyone can talk when the chips are down and you got to own up, own up for yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And the weird thing about it is people can still respect you if you know how to do those types of interviews. And I think you can still keep your aura. But I think what happens is when you become so successful, rich and powerful, your ego doesn't let you say those things. And that's what those guys fight with. It's tough for Dana to say, yeah, man, this card is not as good as the one last week or last month. Uh, but we're still charging you 80 bucks. Get that pay-per-view. You know, like they'll instantly shift and pivot and go to a tangent or whatever. And so for McGregor, same thing. He'll give you these excuses and all these other things. But, you know, it, that works for at the moment. And they think that once it's done, they say the interview's over. Cut or done, or whatever, when they get up and walk away, that it is over. It's not. Everything you breathe into the air, especially in media, lives forever. And then you get lots of smart people that will dice up everything you had to say. And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And and I think that's the problem they run into is still not figuring that out, both of them. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, okay, so one thing that stood out for me about Conor McGregor that I thought Michael Chandler should have took advantage of was what you said. You know, he hasn't won in a fight in a long time. 
And what Connor does a good job of doing is making you think he respects you, you're his buddy, you guys are friends, and then he'll turn around and he'll cold clock you with a comment or actually shove you, you know, as we all saw in the trailer, that eventually they're going to get to something like that. But it happens over and over again, and I don't understand why fighters kind of fall for it. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of study this guy. You're going to be on a show with him for a long time. He's brilliant in some of the things he says, but he also repeats a lot of the things he says, or he just puts a twist on it. And one line that he had from Michael Chandler that he's done plenty of times is you'll do as you're told. Mm-hmm. And when he did it, he kind of shut Michael up. Like my, I don't know if it's the magic of editing or what, but Michael just kind of took it. And you mm-hmm. can't do that. You can't lose these battles to this guy. You got to know he's going to say that. Yeah, I agree. Everything you do in this sport does take some work, and that includes trash-talking, call-outs, the performances themselves, you know, um, the respect you give. Even if somebody goes, you know, hey, can you dedicate this win to somebody that's got cancer, somebody that passed away, it's great when you can speak from the heart, but at the same time, you also want to get it right and say the right things, and so that takes a little bit of, of work as well. But um, I, I, I got to imagine that I, I think a lot of fighters just maybe, you know, maybe they all have egos, right? And they all think, oh, whatever he says, I'll just be myself. Things will be all right. We're going to fight after all or whatever. But you're right. All this starts to snowball, you know what I mean? And sometimes fighters can lose that little bit of a mental edge even before they get into the octagon with the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, I mean, he just has his repeats. Like, I, by now, fighters should know. If you beat him in that post-fight interview, he's going to be the most respectful guy on a, on the planet because he's mm-hmm. the most embarrassed at that moment. And that's what's going to keep people from booing and laughing just be that respectful martial artist. But come Monday, he's going to be a different dude. He's going to be calling you out. He's going to say you're a sucker. You got lucky. So you need to pour it on him when you have the chance in front of all them people, right? And uh, he just has these kind of tells where you just know what he's going to say. And you know how he's going to react. And I think uh, for episode one, I think Michael Chandler needs to react a little different to this guy. Don't be his friend. Don't be his friend. You know, enough with the everything he's done and everything he's accomplished. We all know that. He knows that, too. But uh, you're going to fight him, and you need to make this guy be afraid of you. And right now, it doesn't seem like Conor McGregor. I mean, I think Conor McGregor is more scared of himself and his his own image mm-hmm. than he is of Michael Chandler. I think he should be scared of Michael Chandler. But I was also surprised when, you know, how many times do we break down fights and talk about things, but really... When you see a fighter stand face to face with the other guy, you learn a lot of stuff. And Connor just looks huge. Now, granted, they're not fighting at 185. I know he joked around about that. But even mm-hmm. then, if he shed some weight off of that Connor McGregor, he's still sizably bigger than Michael Chandler. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm thinking maybe he said, hey, look, I'll do the tough gig. But I'm not going on weigh-in day. If that's the only thing happening that one day is they just weigh in, then he might say, hey, look, that's a day where I can sit at home and, uh, you know, correspond with his family or do his business dealings or just chill or who knows. I, You know, like, 
you know, you could probably show up and still have most of the day to correspond with your family. Um, of course, most people are going to say, ah, he probably partied and just couldn't answer the bell. This is what it boils down to. This is one thing I know about McGregor. I'd love to know what time those weigh-ins are, but I imagine they're early, just like the, the ones that we see, you know, for UFC and Bellator and PFL, 8, 9 a.m. And I know McGregor in the past was a guy that went to bed like at 3 or 4 a.m. And so that might just be something like, oh, you know, waking up early, throwing on the suit, coming down and doing all that. That's just not his thing. I do know the fights are a little bit later in the afternoon, and usually they're around 4 p.m. or so. So by then, you know, he's up, he's showered, he's eaten, and he can show up for that. But um, I don't know. I, I also don't see a problem with him just throwing on a track suit. Like, why do you need a suit to stand around an empty apex and cheer on your guy. Like, it seems like a lot to go through to keep that up. Like, no one goes, oh, my God, that suit's so fresh. You know, like, you're even a bigger superstar. No, no one does that. He's already a superstar. You know what I mean? At this point, it's so funny, though. I think he has to keep it up. Now, that said, goes. I will say this. I could probably say five things about the guy that pissed me off or bugged me or whatever. But he is a fucking character. Like, just when they go later in the uh, season of Tough, when they start doing all those highlights and stuff, it just cracks me up when he is toasting, he's at the bar, you know, inside the house, and then he has a little cackle, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. he really looks like he could be a ton of fun, but again, the problem is he just doesn't look like he's um, all in. Like, he'll, it seems like he does the toast, says something, and then he's got to go. And what he's got to go to, I don't know. What I don't know if he if he wants to go and party, or if he wants to rub elbows with A-listers, or you know, it just seems like it's tough to really pin him down and 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 he and keep him interested in anything going on. It's a little of that Rocky Three feel uh, before the first fight with Clever Lang, you know, where he's just mine's just somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Could be. No, the funny thing is, okay, so they introduce the teams. We find out we have lightweights and bantamweights. We also find out that there's four of each in terms of, so we have eight bantamweights, eight lightweights. There's no fighting to get in. And by four and four, I mean there's four lightweights that are newbies, like prospects, and there's four that are veterans. And then the same thing goes for the bantamweights. And what Dana White wanted to do was keep um, whoever you had, you had either all four veterans or all four prospects. Well, it turns out um, uh -oh, Chandler got his uh, uh, veterans and McGregor took, no, wait, who, who won that first? Yeah. Do you remember? Chandler got the veterans. And um, McGregor he, got the prospects. Picked, well, Actually, I think McGregor picked the prospects first, yes. then Chandler got the veterans, then Chandler, then Chandler went, went. The veterans again. Yeah. So basically it's on Chandler's team it's all veterans and it's and on McGregor's team it's all prospects. And I don't know if that is good for Connor or not. I think it is to tell you the truth, but the veterans will respect them too. You know, I know mm -hmm. they caught some of the guys going, "Yeah, I was happy to be on Chandler's team." But um 
you know, I, I think they just wind up saying that regardless of what team you go to. Rarely do you hear somebody go, oh, I wish I was on the other team. We have heard it, but it's usually later in the season if things just aren't gelling, you know. But anyway, that's what we're, we're dealt with. They have their assistant coaches. John Cavanaugh was there. So was Owen Roddy, two guys that have been with McGregor for a long time, his boxing coach from Crumlin Boxing Club. And then on Chandler's team, he's got Drysdale for jiu-jitsu, Ryan Bader, I imagine, for uh, wrestling. And Jason, what's his name? Shortly? Got, uh, Chris Pontius for boxing. Yeah, exactly. He's part of the uh, Kill Cliff FC team. Uh, he's been there for a while, so he's a striking coach. But he looks like he's well surrounded, you know, by, by uh, talented coaches. And so we're off and running, you know, we're off and running. And so the first thing that Connor did miss, because he seemed like he was at the training sessions, and I think Chandler would have brought up that he also missed training sessions if if that had happened. But it seemed like where he was just absent was at the weigh-ins. Again, if the weigh-ins is just that's the only thing happening that day, maybe McGregor says, hey, look, man, I'm not going to come in for that. That's part of the deal. Who knows? I'm trying to give him any benefit of the doubt I can. But regardless, in the training sessions, McGregor does seem to be all in. He's working with the guys. He's hyping them up. He's giving them little fine details. He's uh, post-workout. He's doing stretches and breathing. And, you know, I found that pretty uh, interesting. Uh, so, like I say, McGregor was ticking some boxes uh, along the way. And then just towards the end, his guy got squashed so quick that um, – he said positive things so as not to embarrass the guy. Netterman, I think, was his name. But homeboy oh got smashed. I mean, that was fast, wasn't it? I didn't even really realize what had happened, uh, like live as I was watching. I had to take a look at the replay again and figure it out. It was kind of like the same punch he caught a uh, Poirier with, right? Like kind of behind the ear a little bit. Yeah, um, took him out. But I do want to go back to one thing, George. Um, you didn't think that like I thought Chandler made good selections for coaches, but I thought there were odd selections because I just never really knew these guys to be associated with Conor McGregor or sorry with Michael Chandler. Like in other words, if you're going to bring in a BJJ guy, I would have thought Neil Melanson, like that's a guy that he's worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. And then wrestling, well, I thought maybe you could kind of split that between like a guy like Tyron Woodley, you know, or a guy like Ben Askren, guys that he kind of has like ties. Like I never really knew him to be good friends with, uh, with uh, Bader like that, you know, I don't know. It just seemed kind of odd to me. They're good choices, but I just thought there would be other guys that he would go to first. Right. So I think I can maybe take some decent guesses here. Um, I just want to make sure I got the, the coach, right? It is, Kill Clef FC, and what's that guy's name? Jason. Hmm. I'll see if I can find it. Uh, okay. So. I mean, he yeah, works with him to... every day, so that makes sense. I get that one. I know, but I have this dumb personality where I, when I want to know something, I got to know it right then and there. Sorry that I do it in the middle of the show. But I want to see if I can find it. I think his name is Jason Shortley, the guy that you called Chris Pontius, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the striking coach. That's who he works with at Kill Cliff. I don't think you have any questions there. Drysdale and Melanson. That's a great point. Melanson was the guy he was really close to. But as you and I know, Melanson, I believe, still works 
in security in the Vegas area, he's got a proper 40-hour-a-week job. He may not have been able to free up. You know what I mean? Um, The other thing I can guess is maybe they're just not as close as they used to be. Who knows? Okay, next thing, Bader. Why Bader? I do know that him and Bader are part of the same management team. So what you said makes sense, Woodley or uh, Askren, but how tight is he with those guys? Well, you and I recently sat down with Askren, and Askren didn't really mention Chandler too much. Like they, you know, kept in touch and they're homies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe him and Bader have done stuff together, you know, for this for similar sponsors or whatever. But that's that, that's my only guess there. All right, I was just curious. Yeah. So uh, overall, I think it was a great. Good episode. I don't know if it was great, but it was good. And they teased that it can obviously blow up and it can be a big deal or whatever, but we'll see. I think it's everything I expected. Chandler all in and and McGregor shining when the camera's there, but then also being kind of um, unpredictable, you know, and, and mm-hmm. maybe you can't really count on them all 100%. And I don't know if that affects the guys or not. Like, would my heart be broken if my coach wasn't there for the weigh-ins and it was McGregor? Probably not. Um, now let's say the guy was struggling with the weight, the coaches weren't anywhere to be found, you know, and then they didn't show up to the weigh-ins. Yeah, maybe it'd be like, well, that kind of sucks, you know, because you're seeing the other side and, and those guys are totally, you know, um, with, with, with their guys, whatever they need. So, but, um, he made weight and I actually paused it and froze it. And I could see the coaches in the back. So it seems like only McGregor was MIA. The other guys were there, and that's good enough. They had their face off. That was good. And we get to the fight, obviously, and it was just quick work. Um, Roosevelt Roberts landed some uh, one nice straight punch. Fetterman answered him really nice with a one-two kind of to the body, trying to maybe get his respect back. But then after that, it, it, the, the kill shot came in, like you said, behind the ear a couple of um, hammer fists, and it was just all over. Even Dana had just kind of sat down like, all right, I'm here for a good fight. And next thing you know, it was over in less than 30 seconds. Like, your afternoon is like, uh, what do I do now? I mean, it's great for television, but I think he probably figured, you know, like, I was expecting a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. We actually drove past. Um, I think we drove past Roosevelt Roberts' gym today. Did we? Yeah, the Carlson Gracie one in San Bernardino. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Because yeah, talking I about I possibly it. moving back to Florida, right? Yeah, I thought I saw it. So that was kind of tripping me out today. But yeah, I mean, not much really to say about the fight. The fight was was quick and um, nothing really, really happened. Like nothing really uh, played out. So mm-hmm. it's unfortunate for that guy. You know, like it's so many eyes, so much time gets put in, and now he's. He's just kind of out of the mix. I mean, now granted, we've seen other fighters come back, but I don't know that if they have a pool where they need somebody uh, to replace someone that they're going to come straight to this guy, right? Like uh, everything just happens so quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, best case scenario for Roosevelt Roberts because he's injury free. He's going to be ready to go. I mean, unless he broke his hand, right? But it didn't look like it. So great, best case scenario for him. 
Team Chandler has momentum. And, uh, you know, that's it right there. Here, here are the teams, if you guys want to know. The, these are uh, the McGregor team, Lee Hammond, Nate Jennerman. I've been calling him Fetterman. Uh, Aaron McKenzie and Landon Quinones. Those are his lightweights. His bantamweights are Rico Di Sulio, Mando Gutierrez, Carlos Vera, and Trevor Wells. And then on Team Chandler, these are the veterans. Kurt Hollibaugh, Austin Hubbard, Jason Knight, Roosevelt Roberts. Hunter Azure is a bantamweight. So is Cody Gibson, Brad Katona, and Timur Valiev. So... Those are the Chandler teams. Those are the McGregor teams. Uh, there's some very recognizable names in there, and I think they got something that's going to be pretty cool for uh, both sides. Oh, one last thing. It's Jason Strout. I kept calling him Charlie, but it's Jason Strout. That's the coach. Got it. What else goes? Uh, anything else on Tough 31? Um, no, I, th I think we kind of hit hit everything on that one, yeah. I mean, it was entertaining. It was. It's definitely worth a watch. Mm-hmm. If you're curious, folks, um, one thing that I thought was funny was <laughs> each team had to rank their lightweights and bantamweights, and I and I know that's got to be a little bit of an ego uh, killer if you're the number four guy or the last guy picked, you know what I mean? But um, our guy, Kurt Hollibaugh, the reason I call him that is because he's going to do a recap of every episode on our website. And he talked about being number four, but he also talked about, hey, I haven't been around for two years. They came out of nowhere um, and asked me to be on. And so he seemed to take his on the chin, no big deal. But check out the Holobaw Chronicles every week on MMA Junkie. And uh, he'll be talking about that week's episode and just kind of giving you a behind the scenes. This is something that Junkie, if I'm not mistaken, Ghost can correct me, we put this on the scene way back in the day. In fact, I think Ryan Bader did it for us back in, what, like 2008. And uh, I know C.B. Dalloway did one, Brendan Schaub. Mm -hmm. And I know other websites did it as well, but I'm almost positive we did it first. I'm pretty sure we did too. Yeah. So check that out. And then lastly, we also do a recap of the episode. If you want to get it, if you want to go to Junkie and find out, you know, what the seedings are, the, you know, all those types of details. Like, for example, Jennerman was Chandler's lightweight number two versus McGregor's. Oh, this would be backwards. Sorry. Jennerman uh, was McGregor's lightweight number three against. Chandler's lightweight number two, Roosevelt Roberts. And next week, I think it goes Trevor Roberts. Sorry, Trevor Wells, McGregor, bantamweight number two against Timor Valiev, Chandler, bantamweight number three. Valiev, by the way, is a Dagestani fighter, so it'll be interesting to see if he uh, at any point in time butts heads with McGregor. Uh, they do show a tease of Islam Makashev at some point mm -hmm. is there as well. So that'll be interesting to see when that might be. It might be here to support fellow Dagestani fighter Timur Valiev, or maybe it's later on in the season. Who knows? But uh, we do, a, a like I say, a recap uh, of every episode. So if you want to check that out, I encourage you to. I, it, it doesn't take that long to read through that and the Holobot Chronicles uh, on MMA Junkie every week. Yeah. Logan Paul was spotted with Israel Adesanya and Alex Volkanovsky training. 
uh, wrestling mostly, you know. It's real quick. It's like one minute, courtesy of the Mac Life. It's mostly him tying up with Adesanya. And Logan Paul, for those that don't know, wrestled in high school, and now he's with WWE. He actually does really good work with WWE. Um, it looks like it's been a long time since he's done the proper wrestling like you would see in an MMA gym. He's kind of a little rusty, but he definitely holds his own with the champ. Um, that said, Israel Adesanya is not really known for his wrestling, so I just look like two guys having fun. Pretty cool. Um what did you think of that? I think you kind of stated the Paul brothers are your jam, right? They cracked me up. and But the one thing that I, uh, anytime somebody in this situation that I would normally probably criticize, I can't criticize these two. Because for as much knucklehead activity they get into, sometimes it's a little corny. I think a lot of times it's it's funny. But the one thing that they did make sure they do is Jake Paul in boxing takes it serious. He does not disrespect it. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy is constantly trying to learn. The people that he's taken on are no joke. And uh, Logan Paul in the WWE, I know a lot of people are going to say it's, it's WWE, though. Like, man, they have their rules. They have their unwritten codes. And this dude has won the respect of a lot of these wrestlers for oh, the yeah. way he's come in. And uh, because, you know, like there, there are wrestlers that work their entire lives to get to a WrestleMania or something like that, and, and they don't mm-hmm. even make it. And this dude just jumps right into one, but he did tremendous. You know, and uh, he, he takes that serious as well. That's the one thing that both brothers seem to do is whatever they're going to do, they go all in. And they don't disrespect what they're doing, and I, that's why I, I kind of get a I get a kick out of them. But at the same time, I have the utmost respect for both guys. I'm with you, and I wasn't warm to them at first, um, but I, I'm a fan of YouTube's channels that provide quality content. But I don't consider being a jerk off and just goofing off all around the world as quality content. Now that said, they're trying to appeal to kids and you know, young adults or whatever. And that I'm certainly not one of those. So maybe that's why I'm seeing it, you know, and saying, Hey, get off my lawn, you know, but, um, at the same time, I think I've also seen some young cats do their thing and then me kind of give a chuckle. So that's why I, I don't think I, you know, I don't have my finger on the pulse, but I think I still recognize quality content, but for sure, as they've transitioned into being podcasters and businessmen and, and doing YouTube videos that apply to combat sports. Yeah, man, I, I like these guys. I'm with you. Yeah, they're cool cats. And um, you just have to kind of give them, especially Jake Paul, man. Like, seriously, dude, even for not having that much boxing experience and to have wins over some of the people he has, that that's hard to do. It really is, honestly. Agreed. By the way, did you catch Alex Fajeda running into Israel Adesanya at the airport? Um, yeah, it was funny. It was funny. They both kind of goofed off and did videos at the same time and seemed like there was a lot of respect, and then they just went on their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder I um, deep down inside what they were thinking, both of them. Well, I think right now it's even Steven. Look, I know one guy's up 3-1 on the other, but the other guy's, you know, He's the man. It's Israel Adesanya right now. What have you done for me lately? Or you're only as good as your last game. 
you know, and he'll definitely be cashing the bigger check next time because he'll be defending his title, pay-per-view points, whereas Pajeda's moving up and starting a new journey at light heavyweight. So um, mm-hmm. I, I think I'd still rather be 3-1 guy, but at the same time, um, you know, Izzy seems to be the, the, the richer fighter right now because of the the five title defenses and um you know Pajeda didn't even have one title defense if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So he he really didn't get in to enjoy the riches. And I don't know if kickboxing really is as lucrative obviously as MMA is for the MMA champions. I this is a good question. I have to think about it a little bit. It's very you would think that you would jump all over I I would be um three one but if you think about Israel Adesanya, he gets the finish in this last fight. And though he lost the fight before, he was kind of handling him. Uh, but he got finished. <laughs> but he got finished. That's the problem. I just think right now, maybe, yeah, maybe his head is just a little bit higher than Paez. But uh, yeah, I think I'd rather be Izzy right now. There's good cases for both to be to, to tell you the truth. I don't know that one just completely shines the other. I, mm-hmm. Like I say, um, so much is driven by money as well. Look, if a hater comes from money and did real well in kickboxing, you know he really might be satisfied with this three one. But let's just say he's been struggling, and this was the one time where he really could have done something. Um, but he lost the title, then yeah, he might be kind of thinking, oh, damn, you know, because Pajeda looked like he was maybe closing out Izzy before he got rocked. But, you know, again, back to the video, they were both looking happy and content, and they move on, and that's that. Speaking of Dan uh, Bohovic, I mentioned his name because that's Pajeda's next opponent. DC was saying on his DC and RC show that, um, you know, what to say, see, Pajeda needs to be careful. He doesn't want to get touched by Bohovic. That's that's not like, you know, that's some power there. He's going straight against the guy that's got power. That's what he's known for. I guess maybe that's even better for Bojeda than facing a guy that's a outstanding wrestler, right? And he's going to get maybe mauled. Maybe this is a little bit better in that regard. Who knows? But what I'm concerned about still goes is this fight happened on April 8th. We're only on May 31st. These guys are supposed to tangle on June 29th. May, June 8th, July 8th, July 29th. So that's three months and three weeks after a vicious KO against a killer like Vlahovic. I don't like that for Alex Fajita. I just really don't. I don't think it's a good bounce back. I think I don't have the problem with Vlahovic, but Jesus, at least wait six months. Or perhaps not. Um... Uh, I guess, look, because he's having a little bit of an audio issue. He'll be back in a second. I'm not even sure six months is the magic number. It could be nine months. Who knows? But it definitely is in three months and three weeks after a vicious KO. Now, I believe Frankie Edgar, I'm going to look it up because I hate talking out of my ass. So as I talk, I'll see if I can punch up the info. But I believe it was Frankie Edgar once that got clowned, you know, viciously KO'd. And the first thing he wanted to do was get right back in there. And I think he pulled it off. So let me look. It was towards the end of his career. As you all know, he retired 
uh, last year after he lost to Chris Gutierrez. So he got thumped by, it may have been Ortega. Yeah, it was the Ortega KO punch. That's right. Uh, like an uppercut. It was March 3rd of 2018, and he wanted to fight on the Atlantic City card, which was April 21, 2018. So that was literally way closer than a span of time than what Pajeda's going to. This was a month and a half, and he came back and he decisioned Cub Swanson. So look, sometimes the gamble pays off. Sometimes it doesn't. That turnaround was definitely a lot closer than what Pajeda is going to go through. Again, three months and three weeks versus uh, a month and two or three weeks. So, it, but but I just think there's way more cases of a knocked out fighter not doing good in a follow up fight if it's re, if it's too close to uh, the fight where they got concussed. Those I think there's way more cases of that 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 Trump what Edgar did so pretty much what Edgar did was was rare you know and obviously he's a Hall of Famer he was able to pull it off but again I just don't like this fight for Alex Fajeda that soon after a vicious KO against a killer like Bohovich and he's moving up at least Edgar stayed in the same division going from Ortega to Swanson this dude's going from is is a one eighty five to two oh five? I think there's different levels of being KO'd. Um, this one was pretty clean, but you're right. I think just to stay on the safe side, you wait a little bit more. I, I would personally. I think that would uh, make myself, my family, probably feel a little better. But I I have heard that just some knockouts are a little different than others and. You know, fighters, uh, as soon as they're done, you don't always feel all the effects, right? It takes a couple days, and all of a sudden, you know, who's turning on these bright-ass lights? Like, you know, you start figuring things out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, either way, like, even if they say, hey, man, this is the best knockout you could have ever gotten, I still feel like you take a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Jim Miller. He's fighting for the 50th time. Well, actually, he's had more fights than that, but he's had at least 50 fights in his career. He's 35 and 17. He's going to be fighting uh, against Jared Gordon uh, this weekend at UFC on ESPN 45. It's a late notice fight, but, you know, he was talking about he's just always ready. But here's what I want to get at. Um, Miller, at some point in time, People are going to ask if this guy's Hall of Fame worthy. He never won a title, so much less did he ever defend one, right? Mm-hmm. There was no tough win for him. He has beaten some good fighters. He has done this for a long time. And the UFC hasn't always said, we only want the gold standard. They've made exceptions here or there for different types of contributions that fighters have had that have been tremendous in the company's growth or whatever. And so because of that, and because they've yet, and, and I've seen it in other sports too. You look at some of the sports, the big sports, there's just athletes that don't have the stats that you see nowadays. So this isn't a thing where we're picking on MMA. But that said, do you think Miller can get into the UFC's Hall of Fame goes, um, and, and would you support that? 
you know, knowing that, again, it's not always been people that have done the greatest of the great for the Ultimate Fighting Championship? That is a tough question. We I can't remember where we discussed this. It might have been a spinning back click segment. Um and that to me it was the name Donald Cerrone. I think we were I think we were talking about him and saying, is he Hall of Fame worthy? Mm-hmm. And I just feel like if you let see, there's gotta be a place for guys like Jim Miller, Donald Cerrone. Joe Lazan, these types of fighters that did help the UFC grow. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't know that you could point to them and say they were great. You could say they were really good fighters, but I don't know that you could say they're great. And that's what Hall of Fames are all about. Not the UFCs, though. Not the UFCs. The UFCs made exceptions. Matt Sarah, yeah, he became champ, never defended. Didn't have the greatest record, but he did win tough. Close call against Lytle, but he won. He did knock out GSC, but at one point he was cut. Um, mm-hmm. Stephen Bonner's in. Why? Because him and Forrest had such a great fight that they kind of saved the company and gave him new life for a second season of The Ultimate Fighter. But really, Bonner after that, may he rest in, in peace, um, you know, kind of was probably about a 500 fighter. Uh, Kazushi Sakuraba, he was great, but outside of the UFC. But the UFC wound up buying Pride, and he did well there. But don't forget, man, in Pride, he got slaughtered a few times as well. He was just a big name in a part of the world that's huge in martial arts, and that's Japan. Because it's not like we could consider his pro wrestling you know, career, his catch wrestling career before he came over to MMA, or the fact that he owned the Gracies. You know, that's not the only thing. Um Maurice Smith, I think, was seven and five overall. He, you know, he wasn't like outstanding as well. So we've seen some exceptions made. Boss Rudin only had one fight in the UFC. Um, so that's why I'm saying, knowing that, knowing that they just allowed Cowboy in, do you think Miller then qualifies? Well, but I was going to say, I feel like, yes, they do have some some weird selections, but I feel like they've righted the ship a little bit since then. And maybe you just kind of give them that mulligan early on, but it seems like going forward, it's been pretty decent the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Um, if you make a decision like this now, there's probably no going back. And the one thing that I'm sorry, man, but when I watch like WWE and they do their hall of fame mm-hmm. to me, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, it, you cannot put, rick flair next to the godfather you know what i mean like that no their impacts were completely different mm-hmm. and same thing in the other sports you know like you have to look to the guy on the right and look to the guy on the left and go wow you i remember you you were absolutely amazing and that's what happens when you look at the nba hall of fame right when you look to the left and you got a guy like dominique wilkins in the right and a guy like larry bird you go, holy shit, man. I remember how you used to put fear in people's eyes. Um, you're not going to get a spud web in there, right? Like, it's just, that's just not how it works. And I know the UFC has ventured outside of that a little bit, but I think they could still write that ship. Uh, and, and, but to me, Hall of Fame is all about greatness. And Jim Miller, 
was it was and is a really tough man, tough fighter. Uh, but I, I, I don't know that you could say he was ever great. Oh, wh- what did you say, if you'll recall, about Donald Cerrone then? Same thing. You know, like Donald Cerrone, there's a difference between being really tough. But you said the UFC righted the chip. Donald Cerrone just went in like a few months ago or was announced no, no. going in. So they didn't get the right the ship. That 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 was the topic. That was the topic is when they allowed him and we we're saying, well, yeah, I mean, once you do that, then the floodgates are open, you know? I think the floodgates have been open. They've yet to close. They've, they've yet to right the ship. If if Donald Cerrone had been 10 years ago. But 90% kinda... of them make sense. 90% of them make sense. There's just a few of them in there that you go, what? Because Donald Cerrone is 36 and 17, and Jim Miller is 35 and 17. And then to top it off, Jim Miller beat Donald Cerrone. Like, if Cerrone's going in, and, and Jim Miller's had more fights than than Donald Cerrone. And I think he's on the verge of breaking the record for most wins. So I guess just using the Iron Man angle of all, you know, like being able to respond like that and, and win key fights, you know, can you stomach, I know that sounds terrible, but can you support Miller's, uh, the, the campaign for maybe he, him being in there? If there were an Iron Man category, I think that'd be perfect. You know, mm-hmm. and maybe there should be, but uh, I don't. I really, honestly, don't like Donald Cerrone being in there, and and uh, probably wouldn't be a big fan of Jim Miller being in there. But I'm one of those guys that's just really stringent when it comes to these types of things for Hall of Fame. I think I'm in. I'm in on both guys. Their contributions, I don't think, will be matched because I think going forward. Fighters just aren't going to do it for as long. And so I think they will have accomplished some stuff that just won't be accomplished in the future. Um, and I think there's got to be some some acknowledgement for that. And again, I don't think the UFC has ever proven that you got to have, you know, a title and at least five title, uh, five title defenses. Otherwise, you ain't getting in. This is really exclusive. So um, I think I'm okay with it. He fights this weekend. Go Jim Miller. I hope he does his thing. He's taking on Jared Gordon, and it'll be on Big ESPN. So it was um, actually Gordon that's filling in for the fight because Ludwig Klein is out. So uh, that fight will be going on this weekend, UFC on ESPN 46. It will take place. In Las Vegas at the Apex Center. And I guess since we're chatting about it, I'll tell you right quick the start times and all that stuff so you can prep yourself. The prelims are on ESPN Plus at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Um, Philippe Linz is on there. Uh, Maxim Grishin from Extreme Couture. Jamie Malarkey's on there. Jin Yu Fry. Um, sexy Mexi John Castaneda, and how about Andre Arlovsky, who also is another Ironman, except he can mm-hmm. boast having won that title a few times. So I think he'll have a little bit of an easier say getting in there. But all them cats, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on ESPN Plus. And the main card is 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, 
But that one's on ESPN. It's headlined by Armir Albazi, 16-1, against Kaikar France, 24-10-0. Albazi's looking at a possible title shot if he can win. Um, Alex Caceres, a.k.a. Bruce Leroy, he's on the card against Daniel Pineda. The aforementioned Jim Miller against Jared Gordon. Tim Elliott's back. Poor man, if you see what he's gone through on social media, he's going to be uh, trying to let loose on Victor Altamirano. Uh, and then uh, Abu- Abubakar Nurmagomedov against Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos. They're mixing it up in the first fight of the main card. Sound like you wanted to say something? I forgot what I was going to say. Oh. Uh, maybe when I said Arlovsky, it looked like you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask, do you know, does Andre Arlovsky qualify to go in as a pioneer? I can tell you right now. Because I think it's got to be pre-Zufa era, which is like 2001. And I think UFC 38 or one of those, 34 is, is when they started. So Andre Arlovsky would tall does that fool let me look at his age real fast oh shit Arlovsky's up to 44 years of age wow um his first fight goes was in yeah his career started in 1999 so he qualifies as a um pioneer then he gets in for sure and rightfully so yeah, I think he gets in regardless. He was a champ, and um, and he's done it for so long. But he had title defenses. How many? He had one, two, and then that might have been it. So two title defenses. He beat names like, I think that's another thing, is when you have quality wins to back it up, he beat Tim Sylvia. He beat, I'm going to give you the most elite ones, Fabricio Verdum, Ben Rothwell, Roy Nelson. Respect to Roy. He was an IFL champ. Um, Antonio Silva, Travis Brown, Frank Mir, uh, uh, Stefan Struve, I think it was, was pretty good. Ben Rothwell for the second time. And, yeah, after that, you know, he's kind of been fighting lesser competition, I guess. But, mm-hmm. geez, wow, 23-year career for that guy. He stays busy, too. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, this is his first fight in 2023. But, look, in 2022, he fought three times. In 2021, he fought three times. In 2020, he fought two times. 2019, three times. 2018, four times. 2017, three times. Damn, he's racking up checks, too. Three times in 2016, twice in 15, twice in 14, three in 13. So good for him. Three three times in 2012. Holy shit. This guy really, really stays busy. And remember, for a long time, this guy was supposed to be chinny, and he's taking some good shots on the chin. Um. You know, it's too bad people don't acknowledge that because that, you know, I know that has to be one of the things that pisses fighters off the most. It's probably, you know, is your chin gone? And then the other one, like, hey, are you a gatekeeper? There's a few things that fighters do not like, some of them at least. And for a while, this guy was getting clowned on that one, but he's taking some good shots in some of these fights and his chin's held up, you know. Um, So we got to give him his props there. For sure. 
Yeah. How about Justin Gagey? <sighs> this guy, man. I really like him, but sometimes I dislike the things he says. Um, I like that he has an exit plan. I like that he, when he was undefeated, knew that his losses would come one day and he was prepared for them. I love how he will not accept a fight unless he has two or three months to prepare, so he's not your late-notice guy. He has these things that he sticks to, these core values, you know. And um, But, you know, he just did not like the interim belt that he won when he beat Tony Ferguson. And now that he's part of this VMF belt, he's talking about how it's dumb. Now, in the article, to be fair, he said, hey, look, okay, there's some perks to all this. So in the end, I guess I'm a fan. I think it's awesome. But it didn't, you know, I think if not for that, he just kind of like minimizes uh, this thing of the the um, the baddest motherfucker belt or whatever. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. like, bro, you signed the contract to be a part of this. Why not up it? Why not like, um, you know, elevate the stakes of the fight that you signed up for rather than minimize? You know, what, you see what I'm saying? I just don't get a. Uh... He doesn't strike me as a guy that would lie. So when the UFC brought this to him, I would find it weird if he gave that very opinion and then them say, well, we're still going to do it. Because like, I would I would want everything you just said. Like, if you're not going to be interested, how are the fans going to be interested, right? So, um, yeah, that I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't understand Justin Gagey. Sometimes he makes ton of sense. But here, that's just, uh, if anything, it's just not a good game plan. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And so sometimes you just kind of shake your head like, what'd you do that for? You know what I mean? But And this guy is somebody that is very opinionated when he reads things online, whether it's about media or fans or other fighters. But yet, when it's towards him, you know, he can be really, really defensive at times. We've actually had a good relationship with him, although in the last few years we haven't talked much with him. But so I I can't say that we really ever butted heads, maybe just, you know, disagree on a take or whatever. But I'm a fan. I love the guy in in the sense of like he's unique and he really does seem to be, you know, we used to ask this question hey, if you were in a fight and there was 10 frat frat boys or 15 frat boys and you, you could only pick three fighters or five fighters, who would you pick? Man, I'll tell you what, I think Gagey would be one of them. I know we always gun for the heavyweights or whatever, but how would you not want that guy? That guy seems to be scary in an alley fight. You know what I mean? I was just about to say, regardless of uh, weight class, I think it's kind of reminds me of that that Nintendo hockey game where you have your skinny guy, your middle guy, and your fat guy. Mm -hmm. I think I would take Justin Gagey no matter what the weight classes are. I think he's just, uh... oh, by the way, I wasn't going to say it right now, but holy crap. Ever since you said people are way overusing he's a dog, oh, my mm-hmm. God, I feel like it's been nonstop. I think it was a little bit of that on on Tough as well. Mm-hmm. But Justin Gagey is an animal, dude. He just is, and, and that would he'd totally be on my bar fight team. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Um, okay, I'm going to throw something at you here and tell me what you think of this. The BMF 
title or whatever it's called. I guess there is a belt. I'm not sure if you're a, an actual champion or if you just the labeled the baddest motherfucker, right? So I do want to ask you this. So we're going to use a little game that we've played for many years. They made a mistake, and two fights are going to start at the same time in two different ballrooms. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say arenas. There's not arenas next to each other, so ballrooms. In one of them, it's Gagey versus Poirier, and then the other one goes, it's um, Zhang Weili versus uh, Amanda Limos. Which Mm -hmm. one are you going to? Come on. Gagey all day. Grasso and Shoshenko, too? Or Gagey and Poye? Gagey and Poye. Aldana and Nunez? Or Gagey and Poye? Gagey and Poye. Nunez against whoever in the featherweight division? Or Gagey and Poye? Gagey and Poye. So let me ask you this. What if it was Nunez against Cyborg or Nunez against Kayla? Does Gagey and Poye still beat them anyway? Not Kayla, but if it's Cyborg, yes. Okay. How about Marino? Who's fighting um, Pantoja or Gagey and Poye too? Hmm. Um, these are all in the United States, right? Yeah. Okay. God, that one's tough. <sighs> Probably Gagey and Poye still. Sterling and O'Malley are Gagey and Poye. Uh, that one's a little tougher, but still Gagey and Poye. Volki, Volkanovski and Yair or Gagey and Poye? I think I would see Volk. Volk has earned that uh, respect. Makashev and the winner of Darius and Oliveira or Gagey Poye? Makashev and the winner of. Leon Edwards and Covington or Gagey and Poye? Gagey and Poye. Israel Adesanya against the winner of DDP or Whitaker 3 or Gagey Poye. Gagey Poye. Jamal Hill against, I think he's going to fight um, dude with a ponytail. What's his name? The Yuri. former champion. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Yuri, what? Yuri Prohaska. Yeah. Him or Gagey Poye? I'd go see Jamal Hill. Okay. Uh, and I guess we'll finish up with Jones and Miocic or J.G. Poye. Jones and Miocic. So it was about half and half, right? There was a few men's fights. We weren't just picking on the ladies. There was a few men's fights where the J.G. Poye fight was just more interesting, regardless if it's just called the BMF and not the undisputed title. So that's my point is, why isn't Gagey more excited about it? I mean, forget about the game pay-per-view cuts. I mean, of course, who doesn't get excited about that? But I think you have to also realize that the matchup is is pretty cool. It's not like if they didn't give him Poirier, they were going to give him Makachev. I don't think that was the case. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm wondering why he doesn't get more uh, excited about some of these accomplishments like interim belt. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's odd. I don't know. I mean, MMA fighters are a rare breed, too. But uh, personalities in that sport tend to change a little bit more, in my opinion, than uh, in, like, football, basketball, baseball, all that. Like, throughout their careers, 
I think a lot of it has to do with the exposure they have to fans and social media and uh, rankings not kind of mattering. I think eventually, I think fighters kind of flip-flop a little bit on their personalities. Yeah. Daniel Cormier ranked as top five Ultimate Fighter alumni. Uh, his honorable mentions went to Diego Sanchez, Matt Serra, Tony Ferguson, TJ Dillashaw, Robert Whitaker, Juliana Pena, Carlos Farza, and Brandon Reno. His top five were Uzman at number five, Nama Yunus at number four, Evans Rashad at number three, Bisping at number two, Forrest Griffin at number one. I thought that was a pretty solid list. They all went on to become champs. The only problem I have is um, Rose. Rose. She lost to Carla in the actual um, show, the tough show, and then mm-hmm. she lost to her a second time. Now, Rose was okay on the Ultimate Fighter, but I don't remember her being so glowing or anything like that, right? Do you? She was dominant in her victory. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was weird that <laughs> poor Carla gets dissed a lot, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But that was that was the only runner-up of, of his five. Do you, so, do you know what his criteria was exactly, though? I guess he didn't say. Maybe, I guess, the entertainment that he received from them on the actual show itself. Maybe mm-hmm. that was it. Who knows? But okay. um okay, couple more. Brand, um Javier Mendez says Habib Nurmagomedov is not cornering anymore, but he's still out there coaching. That's why you've seen him with Makashev and you know training with him and training with um uh Balil Muhammad or whatever. So I guess my question is not so much what do you think of that? I mean, I don't think that's huge news, but what do you think of do you, I'm gonna ask you this probably every six months? Do you think Habib will ever come back? I'm leaning towards no now. I used to be a big yes, mm-hmm. and now I'm leaning towards no. Mm-hmm. You what if Makashev just got his butt kicked by McGregor? What, what, what's the okay? No, I shouldn't have asked you that. What, how do you see Habib coming back? What would it take? Did I just give it away? That's one piece. Another one would be just people uh, people forgetting them, you know, because when we all talk goat talk, um, because we have a lack of, of fights from him compared to the body of work that, uh, say, a John Jones or Demetrius Johnson gives you, mm-hmm. maybe that might get to him a little bit just every time that topic comes up, not hearing his name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Uh, well, he's still kind of in the game. That's, a, I guess, that's the point of what I was maybe saying. But it just makes you think every once in a while, what would it take to get him in there? And uh, I think, you know, as long as Makashev's around and so is McGregor, we talked a little bit about McGregor on today's show. I just think that might be like a possible angle because all it takes is for Mama Nurmagomedov to go beat him, you know, and maybe that inspires him. Just like um, Adrian told Rocky, you know, win or whatever. And next thing you know, he's out there doing his thing. Yeah. He, I don't know. Because I think what made Habib so great was he just didn't have downtime. He didn't have time off. Like 
training was his life. Mm-hmm. And now that uh, it seems like maybe the intensity of that has slowed down, mm-hmm. I don't know that you would get the same great Habib coming back. And that would be a shame for him to to come back and uh, and lose or look look a little silly. That that would really really suck because I think that's what people will remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're gonna finish on a sour note. Rob Wilkinson, who was the 2022 champion for the PFL. If you'll recall, he went 4-0. I think they were all finishes. I think three were by KO, one by submission. It was, and, and a lot of them were early, too. He tested positive in the first round of fights in this 2023 regular season. Because of that, uh, and they did not reveal what the banned substance was. But uh, the test was administered by the Nevada Th- uh, State Athletic Commission. As you all know, the first three weeks were here in Las Vegas at the Virgin Theater. And uh, him, he's the 10th fighter who's been sanctioned. And uh, or I guess he's going to be facing sanctions. But 10th fighter who's been um, caught, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's removed from the season altogether. But... Jesus, this is a really, really bad look for the PFL. Um, not to say that they're actually the ones giving out the PEDs, but obviously, you know, it's under their banner. And so they really have to respond in some way because this is, I don't know, kind of a joke at this point. Yeah, that's, that's a lot, dude. And that's that's a really, really big hit. I love Rob Wilkinson, man, and... I mean, I, you know, I, I can't make any excuses from him. The test is a test. Everybody takes it. But that sucks because uh, I thought that guy had come close to becoming uh, a superstar there with, with the with the PFL, like uh, transcending a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, he actually, in the first round, he fought Thiago Santos, who also got caught. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, that fight was just kind of a waste. And think about what it does in the standings having to pull their alternates, but you know, this is a guy, you know, this is what sucks. The PFL is trying to grow and they're trying to obviously sign free agents. Hey, look, look who we have. And some of them have fallen short. And then while that's happening, they're kind of growing their base, right? Like these are the fighters we've groomed under our banner. And like, for example, this year, there is no Ray Cooper. There is no Kayla Harrison. Um, They might appear on these, pay-per-views that are headed our way or whatever, but we haven't seen him here. And so this is a guy that kind of did it, you know, former UFC vet, but obviously he's having success here. And he was a stud for him last year. And then all of a sudden this test, and I think PFL's probably going like pulling their hair out. Like, man, we pay you guys well. We're trying to do things here. And, you know, you know when the fucking test is coming. Like, how'd y'all get caught? I mean, you survived the USADA era. How do you not? Figure things out here. You know when this is coming. You saw it. You don't know when it's coming. Mm-hmm. They better buy Bellator quick. They're gonna need some help. <laughs> yeah, they, there's talk about them maybe adopting Usada. I heard Usada costs about five million a year to do, but the money they kind of throw around. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? That might be worth it for them to, you know, get this going because, like I say, they're just gonna staple together cards and say, "Here you go," and it's not going to be as attractive for us to cover and for me, for fans to get behind. You know what I mean? So that, 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 that sucks. It sucks for the fighters themselves. You know, they, they take a hit as far as their credibility and then uh, the promotion, you know, 
the whole that that fight just kind of uh, to the wayside. Yeah. Hey, before uh, we end, uh, I do want to mention one thing. It's uh, Ryan Hitman Bennett. Oh wow! Wow, the twenty third—that's seventeen years since we lost our dear friend Ryan Bennett, the host of the Sound Off Show on MMA Weekly with Frank Trigg, the show that goes and I used to listen to, the show that we visited when they hit the road here in Anaheim and in LA, and that they welcomed us, and the show that basically because of the hitman's unfortunate, tragic death, I guess, launched our careers in radio because we just wanted to fill the void of a morning radio show, and Frank Trigg wanted, was willing to do the show with us. And so we started Tag Radio, which became MMA Junkie Radio, but it was all because of what happened with with Ryan Bennett passing away. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. And even if it's this small little tribute that we're giving him, because the guy was an outstanding person, man, really, really cool, an actual professional journalist who worked for NBC in San Luis Obispo, moved his family to Salt Lake City or near Salt Lake City, and then was going on a family vacation while he was going to cover an event in Las Vegas. A tire blew out, and he was ejected from his seat and died instantly. Uh, a few of his kids, he had four kids, and his wife also got hurt, but they made full recoveries. Um, but, yeah, Ryan Bennett was lost on that day, and Ryan Bennett worked for the UFC. Uh, he did in-ring, or sorry, in-octagon interviews, and he covered the UFC. And, honestly, Ryan Bennett and his MMA Weekly team, along with Sherdog and their and the Sherdog team, so Jeff Sherwood and all those people, they had a hand in giving this sport a pulse. You oh, know, yeah. when it died on many occasions, they kept it going. And so you, massive respect to all those people. Um, you got Greg Savage, who now works for PFL, and Jeff Sherwood, who's no longer with Sherdog. Dan Stuck came a few years later. You know, he's no longer with MMA Junkie and the aforementioned um, Ryan Bennett and his partner, Scott Peterson, who's still at MMA Weekly. Th there's some names in there, man, that, you know, came before us, and, you know, a few of them are still chugging along, but their contributions should be praised. Josh Gross was another guy. Mm -hmm. For sure. It was a different time, but uh, that's a name that I'd, I'd like one day to, Maybe see considered in the UFC pioneer or uh, sorry, contributor, uh, contributor ring. Yeah, I think that'd be a great one for for him to be considered. Um, hopefully, a lot of names get in there, man. That that deserve it because everyone kind of had a hand in it, and you know, obviously, some people maybe had a bigger hand or whatever. But I still feel like there's a lot of people that just came along at the right time. And I mean, think about all the opportunities, I guess someone like TJ Thompson from King of the cage gave to so many fighters with so many shows. And, you know, I don't know these people, 
you know, that well to, to know if they're good people or not. But again, mm-hmm. some of their shows kept that spark going on different levels. Look at Mick Maynard, who's now a um, matchmaker for the UFC. His LFC show back in the day where Valentina Shashenko came from, Derek Lewis, Holly Holm, Henry Cejudo, you know, Ed Soares' show, which is uh, used to be RFA, and then RFA and LFC merged to become LFA. But, you know, he was Anderson Silva's um, manager and a lot of the Brazilians, the Nogueras. But when he stopped doing that, he started doing this show, you know, and uh, the LFA show. Um, and so they've contributed a lot of fighters as well. But like like I say, just maybe that's that's how um, that, that's how Dana White felt about Mask from Tap Out. You know, like they, they did something and this guy needed to be recognized and that's what goes is saying, well, so did Ryan Bennett. And maybe we should be more vocal about it and throw that out a little bit more often. You know that? Because I think it's spot on. We should, yeah. Yeah. All right, folks. As you know, the UFC is back this weekend with UFC on ESPN 45, Cara France versus Albazi. And like I mentioned earlier, the fights will start at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific for the main card, three hours before for the prelims. Prelims on ESPN Plus, the main card on ESPN. And then next week is PFL4, Lachlane versus Pinedo, um, followed by Nunez versus Aldana for UFC 289. Goes and I will be doing a watch along for UFC 289. If you order the fights, uh, watch along with us and let's have some fun. We have a chat room. Uh, a lot of people order the pay-per-views by themselves, and so that's why you can listen to the announcers, you can listen to us or whatever. If you don't order the fights, then we got your back. We'll tell you exactly what's going on in real time. So join us at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific for our UFC 289 watch-along, Nunez versus Aldana. We are going to bounce on out of here. One quick reminder, every Monday, Goes and I do the Spinning Back Click Show, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It is live on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video, we're guilty. We didn't do it this past Monday because of the observance of Memorial Day, but we'll be back next week, and I'm telling you, we rarely miss. So that's a show you can count on, one hour of us covering all the biggest topics in MMA with our colleagues from the MMA Junkie staff. All right, folks, we're out of here. Enjoy the weekend. Go out and be a champion. Talk to you soon.